Welcome back to another episode of Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, DFB Encounter. With me, as always, is Jacob Sanderson. You can follow him on Twitter at the predictably predictable Jacob Sanderson, at Jacob Sanderson on Twitter. Easiest handle to find on Twitter. I mean, X. How are you doing tonight, Jacob? It looks like you're still at work. Is that true? I'm coming to you live at 9.30 p.m. from the office. Um, worked, uh, was, was stuck working a little late. Um, got a new case dropped on me at um, 5 p.m. Um, so was uh, getting situated with that. Figured, uh, you know what? We got a perfectly functioning microphone and webcam at work. Well, maybe not functioning. You'll tell me. I don't think I've ever recorded on this mic before. So <laughs> well, I guess I guess I'll leave that to the listeners. But uh, a potentially a potentially a plausibly functioning camera and mic setup. So uh, why don't we just let it rip up up here and. Uh, Talk some ball. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, do you think that the Chicago Bears should let it rip on Caleb Williams, or should they rip off the Band-Aid and remove Justin Fields from the premise? Well, look, I mean, you can't possibly well, know what Justin Fields is. Like the most controversial topic in football. Like you, can't, you can't know who Justin Fields is. He's only been the quarterback for three years. You, it, The only way you can make any determination about Justin Fields is if he has Jerry Rice, wide receiver one, Marvin Harrison, wide receiver two, Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver three, Marvin <laughs> Harrison Jr.'s kid, wide receiver four, Marvin Harrison Jr., 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 Marvin Harrison the fourth, Marvin Harrison's murder victim, all of the Marvin Harrison extended universes uh, in his wide receiver room. Um, Cole Komet would be a good tight end too, but he needs Brock Bowers accompanying him. Uh, and he needs a good running game. He needs to have probably... I would assume Walter Payton. Um, I don't even think, you know, that um, Matt Forte would be good enough. Uh, and honestly, I'm not even sure no matter how good the offense is, you can make any determinations on him unless Brian Urlacher is backpiling the defense. So it's just too early to say anything about Justin Fields because unless you're in a perfect environment in the NFL, we can't make any determinations about a quarterback. That doesn't really apply to any other quarterback, of course, just Justin Fields. He's our very special boy who deserves special rules. Uh, we can't make any determinations on Justin Fields' talent at this time. He's a very special boy. <laughs> well put. He's don't you feel player. like? Don't you feel as though no one like? Can you think of any? Can you think of anyone that the dynasty community has ever like seen the good side of to this extent? Than Justin Fields because normally they're like not a very forgiving community. Like normally, I would say if anything, they're like overreactive to things. Yeah, but and to be clear, like you guys can like go find my receipts. Like if you want to find my receipts from the 2021 draft, you will not find any of me being like a Justin Fields hater. That's never trying to be vindicated. Like I thought he was a great prospect. Uh, I thought he was like either the 102 or the 103 in that class. I thought, I thought he was like viable of being a first overall pick in a class that Trevor Lawrence wasn't in. Like I was upset that the NFL let him fall as far as they did. I thought Chicago made a great choice to select him. Like I, I wasn't on like Fields Hater Island trying to like take an early victory lap. I've just been thoroughly unimpressed with what he's done so far in the NFL. And I'm kind of confused why that's not the consensus. Yeah, I think that he has certainly somehow 
got people on his side. I think I think a large part of it is that he's like a rushing quarterback, right? Like if he wasn't scoring 20 points per game last year, there's not a whole lot of faith in him from the dynasty community. I think are people I'm, normally forgiving of rushing quarterbacks? Like Kyler Murray was actually good, and people were like, "This guy stinks." But he played Call of Duty, <laughs> right? And he had, really, he had people. Perfect. People will still tell you Lamar Jackson stinks. That's true, but he probably played Call of Duty too. <laughs> is my guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's just like I'm. Should Justin Fields replace you on this podcast? Because he is bulletproof. Like he's literally like. <laughs> I think I think what you're where I'm going with this is that I don't actually think it's necessarily the dynasty community. We we punished them pretty heavily in like the you know any like aggregating boards like keep trade cut or fantasy calc. Like I don't think he's that high anymore. Oh, I think that they still have been pretty forgiving. Like he is currently still sitting on fantasy calc at QB thirteen. Now, like I will admit that. QB 13 is probably a little bit misleading in the sense that there is about a thousand value point drop off after Dak Prescott at QB 12. But like, he's still ahead of Deshaun Watson, who also runs. And despite, you know, the concerns, like he, he like certainly has job security, at least in the medium term. Uh, he is still out of Brock Purdy, which is interesting to me. Um, he surpassed, uh, he still had a Bryce Young or, or surpassed Bryce Young. I'm not really sure which of those. Um, but, you know, he's still got a leash and at least some theoretical upside. Like, I, I guess it's not insane since he still runs. But, like, if I go even, you know, if I, if I just don't tab on quarterbacks, right? Like, let's, let's pull up here. Let's see where he is. So at least this is keep trade cut. Keep trade cut has an equal to like in the same general tier as Stefan Diggs, Tavon Achan, Zay Flowers, Ken Walker, Dalton Kincaid, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, he has him ahead of Mark Andrews, head of Drake London. Like that's like a lot of guys that I would feel a lot better about than Justin Fields. Yeah, I think where I was going with this is that he was like, I don't know what he was on Fantasy Calc or uh, Keep yeah. Trade Cut in the preseason because we used Adaiko, Adaiko's masterpiece, ADP yeah, masterpiece. Yeah, was like a 1-2 turn pick. And he was, uh, well, he was even higher than that. He was like a 108 at one. That's like, true. The last time I that did is it. true. And now he's like on Fantasy Calc 36. He's a round 3-4 yeah. turn pick. Like that's, that's pretty punishing. Yeah, uh, that's true. Which I think is like fair punishment. Like I'm not like against it. I'm not like he should still be a first round pick. I thought he was a wildly overrated first round pick at the time. Yeah. Now I'm like, yeah, this is like fine. Like he's on fantasy calc. He's sandwiched between a thousand points behind Dak Prescott and 300 points more than Jared Goff. I'm like, I'd much rather have Justin Fields than Jared Goff personally. Um, but again, it's like. It's not really the question necessarily. I, I've kind of flipped this because where I was going, what I was trying right. to say is that I feel like the dynasty community has punished him to some degree. It's the Bears fans that haven't. It's the Bears fans that are saying we need to keep Justin yeah. Fields and not we need to draft Marvin Harrison. We need to whatever and keep Justin Fields. I'm like, but you have Caleb Williams staring you in the face. Like he like 
Caleb Williams a month ago was considered to be the best quarterback prospect we've ever seen. Like back to Peyton Manning. They were saying he was better prospect than Locke. He's a better prospect than Lawrence. Like that's a month ago. But he cried, Drew. He cried. He cried, he cried with his mom. He like, yeah, I don't know. He's he lost some games. He, he has he took some QB losses and he cried. Took some QB losses. So like I, I think where I'm going with this is that I, I don't think the dynasty community is like totally out of touch with Justin Fields. I think it's more the Bears community. And the Bears community unfortunately overlaps a lot with the Dynasty community. Sure. Seems to be a lot of Bears fans in the Dynasty community. And and not just the Bears fans, but also Ohio State fans. And Ohio State fans. There's a lot of people in the Dynasty community from like that Ohio area, like Cleveland area. And like like a yeah. ton of Browns fans, ton of Ohio State fans. It's pretty wild. I like I don't I guess right. like is it the birthplace of football? Is that like the thing in Ohio? Like that's I think it's that the Browns and the Bears have been so bad for so long that you're more inclined to have a relationship with football through fantasy if you root for a perpetually terrible team. That's my theory. Like my theory is like if you're a Patriots fan, that makes sense. You don't need to like play Dynasty because your life is a Dynasty. Um, growing up, at least not currently. But if you're like a Browns fan or a Bears fan and you like football, you need like the escapism of fantasy to help you enjoy the sport. Because if you just had to watch the Bears every week, it's not fun. That is, that is rough. There's going to be a lot of Giants analysts coming out soon. <laughs> uh, um, here's, here's my contention, right? Like I've seen people – okay, so yeah, we'll talk about this the real life is what we wanted to. I, I probably I, – I derailed us by talking about the fantasy stuff. The contention I have, a lot of everybody has praised this draft uh, trade that they did with the Panthers um, last year. And, like, there's no question that the Panthers took on an extreme amount of risk. It massively backfired. It looks like, very likely, that they wound up trading DJ Moore, uh, well, Darnell Wright is who the Bears got, whoever the Panthers would have taken in that slot. I think, like, a second-round pick or something as well. Maybe even another one. <laughs> and of course, Caleb Williams, right? All like two long term starters at high leverage positions, another couple of picks, Caleb Williams, all for the privilege of selecting a quarterback who currently does not look good. So that's obviously a disaster from their end. Here's here's like the, the one caveat that I would say though, right? Just because in this exact reality, you would obviously way, way, way rather have what the Bears ended up with. I'm not. I'm still not convinced that it was actually a good process trade for the Bears to make in the sense that if the Panthers weren't this bad, if the Panthers were just the third worst team in the NFL, like, it's good, but you still need a quarterback one day. And now you could say, well, they would have taken Bryce Young, and Bryce Young is, is not doesn't look that good. And that's fair. And they probably would have taken Bryce Young. He was the consensus QB1, and I didn't think that that was egregious or anything like that. I would also say this. If the Panthers had C.J. Stroud right now, they would not regret for a second their trade, right? Like, if, if they had just taken the right quarterback, and I'm not saying, oh, you dumb Panthers, how could you not have foreseen that C.J. Stroud was the better quarterback? Like, I thought Bryce Young was a better prospect, too. But I, I do think that... I think the quarterback is clearly the most important position in the NFL. I know, hot take. Um... And that if you have no quarterback or, and you have the opportunity to draft 
a really good chance at a franchise quarterback, which you're never going to get a better chance when you're picking first overall. I think you just take it. Now, a little different is last year I was making the case that they should have taken a quarterback, and that was when I was like, look, Fields might be the guy. He might not be the guy. But with the rookie contract scale, with this limited opportunity to do this, like, do you really want to gamble on might be the guy going into year three? Now I would even feel stronger. I'm like, this is not the guy. I'm not saying not the guy in the sense that he can never play in the NFL or whatever. I think he'll probably start somewhere next year. I think he probably should. I think he's probably one of the best 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. But like, I think we can be pretty confident that he's not the type of quarterback that you pay a second contract to and then expect to win the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, I agree. I think if you were going to sign, say, Justin Fields to a large second contract a la Daniel Jones, you would probably get a la Daniel Jones-esque type production, which is not enough to matter to any degree. No. Like, I, did, I, don't, I don't really understand the pay the mediocre quarterback game the NFL plays. Like, I fully understand that you pay Patrick Mahomes and you pay Justin Herbert and you pay Joe Burrow and you pay those guys for sure. Give them every penny in the bank account. But the right. mediocre guys, I'm just like, eh. Like, no, it's just it's just a game that people seemingly play out of fear, yeah. right? Like, you're, it's not like if you're the team that's paying Derek Carr, you're you you've just like you're just pressing fast forward on the season. Yeah, right. You're not you're not actually a Super Bowl contender, um, and you're not going to be bad. So you're just you're just existing. I guess the best I mean what's the, the best iteration of this quarterback middle class? I mean, this is the problem, right? It's not actually these quarterbacks' faults. Like I'm I'm not actually of the view that you can't build a Super Bowl winner around an average quarterback. Because I think that you can if they're on a rookie deal. So theoretically, if we had a quarterback market in which the like middle tier quarterback was paid a little bit closer to what the rookie quarterbacks are and not as close to what the elite quarterbacks are, then definitely I think you, you would have a better chance of building these types of teams. It's just in the confines of the market, these guys are getting so much money that it's almost impossible. The closest, I mean, we'll, we'll get a trial run this year with Detroit, right? That's probably the one team that's kind of in the mix this year that I would say is paying like a true middle-class quarterback not paying them a ton, but they're paying them a, a considerable margin. And I guess my take is they're not going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to win the Super Bowl. I think, yeah, I think it's if you're going to pay like, a, if you're not going to have a superstar quarterback, I think you go and get yourself a Baker Mayfield, a washed up retread that right. is like fine. You don't have to pay a lot of money to. I don't, I don't. I actually don't know how much money Baker Mayfield's making like, on this salary. Not a lot. I, I, a lot. I think he's making like five million or something. Yeah, like that's the guy that you would go and get if you're going to have the choice of pay Daniel Jones or just go and sign Baker Mayfield. Yeah, four four point five million dollars. Oh, that's four point five million dollars of incentives available. Oh my god! And his base salary is one point one. So yeah, yeah, it's like five total. So, like that's the guy that you go and get if you want to just like build the team rather than get the quarterback. And I think that's a perfectly fine way to do it. Like if the bears had said last year, right. you know what? We don't think that Bryce young is the answer. 
we don't think that Justin Fields is the answer. And they just traded Justin Fields, traded the first overall pick to Carolina, and signed Baker Mayfield. I'd be like, hey, that's probably the right thing to do. Bears, great job. Like, Baker Mayfield might be good enough. And if the rest of the team is good, then you'll be great. But the rest of the team sucks. So well, they'd be fixed. <laughs> well, I don't think having Justin Fields last year in a vacuum was bad. Like, I don't, I don't think that we knew for sure. Maybe we still don't, you know, do you ever really know things for sure? I definitely don't think we knew for sure at the end of last year, like Justin no. Fields was definitively not it. My view on the time was just like, how often do you get this chance? Now they fucking locked into Carolina, taking the wrong quarterback, being atrocious, and then being, and then gifting them another chance. That was not the most likely scenario for the straight. Like it was not the most likely scenario that Carolina would literally be the worst team in the NFL this year. Um, if you, but like on your point, if they, if Carolina was just like a normal bad team, the Bears aren't picking number one again. No, like and that's they're out of range to pick another quarterback. So I agree. Well, with you. quarterback last year was the right thing to do because you, it's so rare that you get to draft early in a draft, and also there's a good quarterback available in that draft. Like right. This is the trap. Outsized. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just, it's just it's just uncommon to get both of those stars aligned at the same time. Well, this is the trap that teams fall into. Um, once I finish this point, I'm gonna have to go turn the lights back on. Uh, this is the trap that teams fall into with it. Is like Atlanta is a great example of a team that at one point in time they were actually awful. Right? They bottomed out. They were picking fourth overall, and they could have taken Justin Fields. Right? Um, you know. Maybe it wouldn't have worked out. Who knows? I'm not going to say that the maybe Justin Fields does work out if he's in Atlanta. I think clearly a better situation in Chicago. But maybe he'll be in Atlanta next year. Um, <laughs> pretty good chance of that one. Uh, they're in the spot where it's like they had the chance to draft a quarterback. They chose not to. They and then like they and then they just keep getting incrementally better. Where, okay, now it's 2022, there isn't really a quarterback even worthy drafting an eighth overall. It's what they decided. And so far, I'd say they were correct on, on that. None of the 2022 quarterbacks have looked like a quarterback you take in the top 10. Um, okay, what's the next best thing we can do? We'll take a flyer on round three with Ritter. No harm, no foul. I think that was a good decision. It's not going to be the guy. Um, then they come into this year, and it was like, you know, they weren't picking high enough, right? Okay, they could have traded up, right? But they decided not to do that. Like, again, in a vacuum defensible. By the time it got around to them, the only guy was Levis. Maybe Levis ends up working out. Maybe he doesn't. And, you know, too, too soon to say on that one. So they decide, okay, well, what are we going to do? We're not, like, again, I think they made, like, based on their set of circumstances, the right call, right? They didn't go out and get the Kirk Cousins. They didn't go out there and, and get the Derek Carr. They were like, well, we have a young guy that we drafted. We may as well play him and see what happens. And that was like a logical thing to do. They saw what happens and he's bad. And then they're going to probably win the freaking division this year. <laughs> so we're going to be picking in the mid to late first. They now know again, they don't have a quarterback. They're not taking anytime soon. This roster is good. So it's, it's a problem of like, they can't win the Super Bowl. They can't do anything else. Like, you know, so often you'll see teams say like, well, you have to build the right way. You can't just bring in the quarterback when there's nothing else around them. You might only have the chance to bring in the quarterback when there's nothing else around them. You know, you might get lucky. And I think teams should always be taking shots. Like you should be taking the shot on the Jalen Hurts. You should be taking the shot 
on not just the ones that do work. Are you taking the shots on the Malik Willis and the Will Levis and the Desmond Ritter? And why not? Like, why not take day two shots at quarterback where there's very little risk? Sam Howell, great example. But, like, Atlanta's pretty fucked. Sure, but he's not very good either. Better than Desmond Ritter. Better than Ritter. Yeah, he's better than Ritter. He's still not good. He's fine. He's he's fine. But the other issue with Fields now is, like, you know, the contract is becoming a legitimate thing. Like, he's extension eligible after this year. He only has one year left before you'd be tagged. Like, it's not just a matter of can you in a vacuum win with Justin Fields as your quarterback, which I think may be possible. It's like, can you now win with Justin Fields making $30 million, $40 million, $60 million as your quarterback? We would know that. The, the, the difference, some people scoff at this, but the difference is so real. Look at Patrick Mahomes' weapons. Travis Kelsey, bunch of scrubs. Look at Josh Allen's weapons. Stefan Diggs, bunch of scrubs. Kincaid may be interesting. Tell you Same with Rice or Casey. But it's like scrubs, rookies, you can get one star. Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, rookie, scrubs. <laughs> um, like all the quarterbacks that are making a ton of money, either they have, the only way they have good weapons is if their weapons happen to be smash rookie picks. Um, but otherwise they don't. Right? You can't just continually replenish. And theoretically, do you want to be spending all your first-round draft capital on receivers when you've just had to pay a quarterback $50 million? Like You probably have some defensive needs. right? You don't want to be spending a ton of money on those. You probably have defensive needs. Ideally, you're paying quarterback $50 million. He can win you a bunch of games of mediocre weapons. right? You look at the quarterbacks that are like just rocking weapons. You know, It's like Tua and Herbst, whose extension kicks in uh, next year. And Purdy, like, that's where you can build. Obviously, the Bears, uh, I'm sure, wish they could have built a better suite of weapons around Justin Fields in the time that they could have. Maybe we'd know a little bit more. But either way, that time is over, right? Even if you think Justin Fields is totally blameless, it could have worked out different. It didn't. He's probably not the C.J. Stroud type to just walk in and transcend a team. Otherwise, they'd be good right now in spite of everything else. He's probably a guy who needs everything right, in which case probably windows closed on that unless unless a team can sign him for 10 million dollars at some point and make it happen yeah i mean in the bears defense they did stock the cupboards for justin fields i don't know if you recall but they actually selected a wide receiver in the third round that nobody in the world thought was good but they thought was good and that's what matters is they took Vilas jones who has turned into an absolute superstar undeniably talented just a dude going out there doing things on the football field. I think he's got what six hundred receiving yards in his career in two years, maybe. Did he get that many? I lied. That was way off. He's hundred and twenty-five career receiving yards in two seasons. So, like that was a great pick. They traded their first round pick essentially last year, 32nd overall, for Chase Claypool, who then obviously did a whole bunch of really incredible things and Chicago. So, like, they tried to stock the cupboards. They just didn't stock the cupboards because I'm kind of convinced that the Bears management is completely incompetent. They they had once, at one point, I mean, this isn't management. This is, like, you know, employees posting their um, <laughs> athleticism model, of all things. Like, the analytics. The analytics with the Bear logo. Know about wide receiver production in the NFL is that athleticism isn't really part of it. 
And yet they have a whole model around athleticism for wide receivers. And that begs the question, what are they doing? And probably ends up, you know, acquiring players like Vilas Jones and Chase Claypool, which have been atrocious train wrecks. And anyways, where I'm going with all this is that, yeah, like, I'm sorry, but if you're hoping that this management team is going to somehow stock the cupboard with draft picks that are going to turn out to be awesome, I probably just would take the under because I'm just not sure that's going to happen. Uh, even like Cole Komet, like, I, I don't remember if they drafted him or if it was the pre prior regime, but like, he's fine. He's not good. He's like an okay tight end, I guess, like a middle of the pack guy. He's fine. So like, there's just, we should not be giving the Chicago Bears management team the benefit of the doubt that they're just going to automatically be able to stock the cupboards around Justin Fields going forward. If Justin Fields can't perform with what he's got, he's not going to perform because he's not that good. So, like, I, I don't think that Justin Fields is terrible. I, I need I want to be honest. No, he's not terrible. He's not, he's not the worst not quarterback terrible. in football. He's just not a transcendent quarterback, and you need a transcendent quarterback to win, or you need – an absolutely free quarterback in order to build a juggernaut team around him. And Justin Fields isn't going to be free if you think that he is the answer. If you're going to give him a Daniel Jones $40 million contract next year, then he's not free anymore. And now you are unable to stock the shelves in a way that you would otherwise. In a way that you would be able to with, say, a rookie quarterback, which is the point. Anyways, um, yeah, I think this is the same issue we've talked about year over year over year uh, not necessarily you and i on this podcast because we've only been doing it for like a year but you and i individually in fantasy football or football worlds or or even off the line if you if you even participate in that part of life anymore but uh like this goes back years and years and years like back to kyler murray versus josh rosen like we had this exact conversation josh rosen was so bad that it's really hard to envision him becoming the thing Kyler Murray's sitting there one-on-one. You get to pick a better prospect that you can just go ahead and plug in and move move Josh Rosen. You get something for him. They ended up getting Andy Isabella for him. That didn't work out to be anything, but guess what? Kyler Murray was a hell of a lot better than Josh Rosen. It worked out really well for them. And then the very next year was the Tua Tonga-Veloa year. When Tua Tonga-Veloa, it was tanked for Tua the whole off, or the whole offseason heading into yeah. his final year. And then he got hurt halfway through. Joe Burrow like lit the world on fire. And it was Joe Burrow's year, and that's fine. Joe Burrow's a really good quarterback. But Tua was still available for the second team, which was the Washington Commanders. And instead of selecting him, they took Chase Young. And Chase Young is a defensive end, which he was a good defensive end. Like I'm not saying he's a bad player. He just doesn't matter like a quarterback does. So they end up going into the season with uh, Dwayne Haskins, RIP, and then they go from there into a bunch of like – did they go with Alex Smith after that? Or was that before that? I my fumbled um, on Washington at this point. But uh, I think that they Oh man. Um I believe that I believe that the year that they Oh, you know what? It was I think they had a, they had Alex Smith the prior year and then they and then he got hurt. They drafted Haskins. Haskins was not good. Um they finished that year with the second pick and then they draft chase young haskins starts the year he winds up getting cut alex smith comes back they start him for a while 
And then he gets hurt, and then they start Heineke in a playoff game against the Bucs. It's a seven seed. They lose. Then they go get Ryan Fitzpatrick. He gets hurt. Heineke gets to start again. Then they go get Carson Wentz. He gets hurt and is also bad. Heineke gets to start again. <laughs> then they get rid of Heineke. He gets to go somewhere else and start again. Turns out he's still bad, so he gets re-replaced. Um, where will Heineke start next year? Who knows? Uh, eventually, maybe Washington has a guy in Sam Howell. They probably don't. They're they're probably not gonna, you know. They'll be interesting too, though. Washington now, because Washington's now four and eight, so they've gotten into a spot now where they're not going to be in Drake May Caleb territory. And if they were in Drake May Caleb territory, my opinion would be you draft Drake May Caleb territory. I probably view Sam Howell similarly to how I viewed. Justin Fields last year, which is like, I think it's more likely than not that he's not a franchise quarterback. And when I say franchise quarterback, my definition of that is basically, can you pay this guy a second contract franchise quarterback money and feel good about your chances to win a Super Bowl, right? How many guys are there that you can say that about? Not, not that many, right? Like to me, Dak Prescott has like always been the line where it's like now this year's Dak is like playing like the best quarterback in the league, but like usual Dak Prescott, it's like if you're Dak Prescott or better, you can, you can pay him and you don't have to think about the quarterback position. You just keep paying him for as long as you can employ his services. If you're worse than Dak Prescott, like you're probably, you probably want them to be cheap or you probably need a different quarterback. Howell's an interesting spot where he's kind of in like the, they could be in the Atlanta spot where it's like, okay, the blue chippers are gone. How do you feel about JJ McCarthy? How do you feel about Jaden Daniels? How do you feel about, you know, those guys? And that's, that's more interesting, right? That's, I mean, that's where it comes down to scouting. Cause if you think those guys are more or less an equal bet to Howell, well, you just roll with Howell and take a, a really good prospect. But then you run the risk of, we know we have an okay quarterback. We've just made our team better because we selected someone else in the top 10. When are we ever going to get a quarterback if Howell's not the guy? Whereas like, at least the benefit is, right? the Panthers unfortunately don't get to reap this benefit. One of the benefits of drafting a rookie quarterback is they might be horrible, right? You might, you might get right back there. I mean, how many times have we seen this? The Jaguars had first overall two years in a row. The Panthers now became a first overall pick with Bryce Young. The Cardinals became a first overall pick team with Josh Rosen. The the Commanders came the second overall pick team with Dwayne Haskins. They just didn't get the memo. But, you know, the Bears became a first overall pick team with Justin Fields. They also didn't get the memo, but they got bailed out. Like, if you draft a rookie quarterback, you've just increased your chances of picking first overall next year in a very substantial way. Oh, for sure. Like, that's kind of where I was going with this, is, like, when you're Washington and you just try to plug holes – and build around like a whatever quarterback, then you don't get back to first overall. Like you don't get back to the spot where you can right. just pick a genuine franchise caliber prospect. So when you get the chance, you probably just need to take it unless you already have the guy. Like I think I would be like Justin Fields. I'm like, no, the bears need to move on. Like this is clear to me. If yeah. it was the Cardinals though, I'd have, a tougher time like i i would still probably well let's talk about it because it might be the cardinals like right now the bears are picking at one the cardinals are picking at two i don't think that's actually how it's going to end up the cardinals i think think probably get i think they probably get a couple wins here and they end up moving out of the top two 
But for sake of conversation, they are currently two. You have a few options. Well, you know what? It could even happen. What's, what's, what's the your favorite? Get their way, the Bears get their way, and the Bears fans, pardon me, get their way. The Bears take Marvin Harrison Jr. to support Justin Fields, and the Cardinals are on the clock at two with Caleb Williams sitting at the, staring at them. So there, there's how we get there. Well, I don't think that's – I don't think that's – Happening, like I, I think, <laughs> you don't think the incompetent Bears management would follow through with that plan? Well, okay, so this is what we're going to talk about with the Cardinals, right? It's the same thing. It's like I think that the least likely option for any of these teams is just like staying in the top two and picking Marvin Harrison Jr. Like to me, you just take the quarterback. But if you don't take the quarterback, like any team that. I just feel like there's maybe not, but from my perspective, there will be some team willing to. If you've determined that the way you would spend a top two pick is not on Drake May or Caleb Williams, then some other team who wants Drake May or Caleb Williams must value the pick more than you, and you've just got to trade it to them. Because like if you're getting if you're getting quarterback trade up return for a wide receiver. I don't care how good the wide receiver prospect is. Like you just have to take that return, right? Like if someone is offering you a package similar to the Bryce Young package last year, and you've already decided you're not taking a quarterback, you cannot turn down that package to take Martin Harrison. That's malpractice. Well, here's what you might do is you just don't answer the phone. <laughs> answer the phone is what I'm saying. Like not just answer the phone, make calls. Do you, do you understand my my uh, my my hidden meaning here? No, I don't. Dave Gettleman did not answer the phone when people called to trade up, and he was going to take oh. Barkley. Oh, he didn't answer the phone. No, <laughs> he just wasn't taking calls. He's like, "We're getting our green jacket. I don't care if you're going to pay for Sam Darnold. It doesn't matter because we're going right. to get calls." I mean, that's call. that's a great example, right? Like the Colts were three in that draft, and they got a haul. For the uh, for the Sam Darnold pick from the Jets, the Giants obviously could have gotten the exact same offer from at two. Why, why not? Um, they probably could have gotten even a slightly better offer. Like to turn that down to not even take a quarterback is like the epitome of malpractice. So like I think what the Bears or the, what the car well okay I think definitely what the Bears should do is just take Caleb Williams. If for some reason they don't do that, the only other reasonable option. Is to trade down and give someone else Caleb Williams. Yeah, you know, taking Marvin Harrison Jr. first overall pick is lunacy. Yeah, I I concur. <laughs> but uh, the Bears also selected Velas Williams. Or no, Velas, you just Jones. you just combined Velas Jones with Venus Williams. I think <laughs> Velas Jones Jr. Uh, Not even Serena Jones and Velas Williams. <laughs> they took Velas Jones. In the NFL draft, on purpose. That was the real thing they did. So anything is possible. So let's talk about the Cardinals. So Cardinals, let's say Caleb is gone. Either the Bears or maybe they trade down, but some, somehow they're gone. Let's just say the Cardinals somehow do actually end up at two. right? Maybe the Patriots win another game. I mean, it's getting to the point now where every team has four wins except the Cardinals at two, the Pats at two, and the Giants at three. So I think we're kind of closing in on these three teams as the two, three, and the four. Um, if the Cardinals do actually end up at two, 
What would you do? Because they're the most fascinating team. Like, if the Giants end up with a chance to pick a quarterback, you obviously take a quarterback. If the Patriots end up with a chance to take a quarterback, you obviously take a quarterback. If the Bears do it, some people are weirdos and think you shouldn't. But, like, to me, there's a very clear right answer. I don't think there's as clear of a right answer with the Cardinals. Yeah, the Cardinals, I I don't know. I I would – it's not that I think that Kyler Murray is the best quarterback in football. That's certainly not what I think. But I also think he's he's good. Like he's probably a top ten quarterback. He's and on that line. What's that? He's like he would be right around ten. Like he would either be he'd be above the, the line. My top end. I don't know if I I don't know if I'm gonna go and rank them like right off the top of my head. Um, he'd probably be either near the bottom of my top ten or the or or just outside. I don't. I think I'd have a hard time putting him outside the top ten. But uh, nevertheless, like I think he's a good NFL quarterback. And if you're a good NFL quarterback, I, I it would depend on what you can get, right? It, like if I'm sitting here, well, I, the problem is you're probably not getting that much for Kyler Murray because he is getting paid like he's a top ten quarterback. Um, but you're probably and, and you're and you're eating a lot of dead money to trade him. That's the other issue too. I'm not that so worried like. About that. Well, I'm worried about it a little bit because to me the the biggest benefit to me the issue with Kyler Murray is not talent. Like I agree, he's a he's a good like borderline top ten quarterback. I think 100 percent in a vacuum you can win a Super Bowl with Kyler Murray. In terms of the contract aspect of it, like I was saying with Dak, like Kyler would be kind of on that line. Like I do think he's worse than Dak, and not even just this year's Dak. Like, like, but but he's like maybe just below that line. Like, I do think you construct the right team around Kyler Murray with Kyler Murray on this contract. I, I, do, I do legitimately think you can compete for a Super Bowl. You just need to be very perfect with your other moves. The, the, the opportunity cost, though, is like, if you're saying you can get another really, really good quarterback, pay them not that much for four years, well, that's better than Kyler Murray. The issue becomes, like, if you have, then trade him, and you have to eat a bunch of dead cap. Well, now you're eating into the point of saving all that money and building around your rookie quarterback because you're allocating money to a player who's not playing for you. Does the dead cap only hit the one year, or does it hit each successive year until the contract? It, it doesn't hit each successive year equally. I'm not a cap expert. Mm-hmm. Um, Shocking. I don't. My understanding is is that you eat the majority of it in the first year. There might be some carryover ramifications to the second year. I think it also kind of depends on what choices you make. But I do think you can eat most of it up front. Certainly by like year three of the rookie contract, I don't think they would be that affected. If that's like blasphemous and wrong, someone can correct me. I'm I, I have like a pretty rudimentary understanding of caponomics. Yeah. So if I were the Cardinals, then that really wouldn't affect me that much because I'm not planning to win in year one anyway. Even when I take a rookie quarterback. Like there's gonna be growing pains. Most rookie quarterbacks are not. Even even Caleb Williams, I wouldn't feel like is going to walk into the NFL and have a CJ Stroud like effect. He might. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just wouldn't be banking on that. Like if I was thinking Caleb Williams would be to win in year N plus one and forever and forever more. <laughs> right. That's true. So the the cap hit, like, yeah, it would suck, but it's not like or the dead cap would suck, but it's not like a huge hindrance to my overall plan. I don't think right. I think where I would, uh, where it would come down to, I think is what could I get for Kyler Murray? Like if I go and trade Kyler Murray, can I get 
I don't know, a first round pick. Is that even reasonable? I have no idea. I don't know. I think no. I think no. Get traded. We don't know what they're worth. <laughs> like, like. By the way, I decided. I decided Kyle Murray is the eleventh best quarterback in the NFL. Okay, fair. That's that's ballpark. Totally fine. Uh, and then and then on the flip side, what can we get for Caleb Williams? Like, he's not a normal first round quarterback. To right. Travel. Like you you can get. I mean, we just saw what the Panthers gave up for Bryce Young, who was not as heralded as Caleb Williams. And now Cardinals are probably picking Drake May, but I think Drake May, by all accounts, would have also been the QB1 in last year's draft by most draft people. I'm not like a quarterback scouting expert, um, but just parroting what the supposed quarterback scouting experts have said, that seems to be the consensus about him. Um, So, you know, if you can get a top 10 pick in this year's draft and another first from a team who probably isn't very good because that's why they're trading up for a quarterback first overall or second overall. Uh, I don't know what's going on with my camera. Um, And you're getting like a roster player. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's, that's probably pretty tempting, right? Because now, I mean, that's part of that's this to me solves your issue of how do you build around Kyler Murray when he's a little too expensive? You have to draft well. You know how it's easier to draft well? You get three first-round picks for your one first-round pick. Like now all of a sudden you have a much cheaper roster with a big influx of talent. I think I think the key there too is where how far back are you trading in round one? Like if I only got to trade back a couple spots and I'm getting like a Brock Bowers or a Marvin Harrison, like that's going to be instant injection into the offense that is pretty exciting. I mean, maybe with the Cardinals, Brock Bowers isn't as exciting because you already have Trey McBride, who looks like he's decent. I mean, Malik Neighbors is probably going to be available in the back end of the really top ten. He looks – I almost think he's like an under – I don't think he'll be this way on draft time. I think he's currently like an underrated prospect yeah, because of how good Marvin Harrison is. To me, I think he would be the runaway wide receiver one in last year's class. Runaway yeah. wide receiver one in last year's I think he'd be the one, runaway wide receiver one in a lot of classes. <laughs> Like, yeah, he looks phenomenal. Yeah. Like, so like his like, analytical profile is excellent. His, I, I mean, I, will, I, will, I happen to watch a lot of LSU because I have Jane Daniels in my campus to Canton league and I have Brian Thomas in that same league. So I just like watch all the LSU games and just watch myself accumulate fantasy points. Um, so I, I mean, neighbors pops, man. Like that's like a true three level receiver. His stats are obviously off the charts. He's done it on the team next to another guy who just, Right, his teammate just got mocked in the first round by Dane Brewer today, Brian mm-hmm. Thomas. So, like, legitimate competition. Like, yeah, he's he's the stuff. So you can get, probably get him in the back end of the top ten. Yeah. So if I can move back and get a guy like that that can help my team pretty much out the gate, and then also like, you know, a future first round pick and maybe another roster player that would have at like a reasonable position. Like, I don't want. Like a guard, <laughs> don't, don't give me a center. But uh, if I could get like something like a cornerback, a good cornerback, yeah, and uh, trade back and pick up like, and, and maybe there are other really good prospects in this right. class. We get a twenty-five. We get a twenty-five-one. We get a spot to get. If you can draft another top ten premium position player, get a good starter at a premium position, like a roster player, and a twenty-five first. Like, you know, now we're cooking with gas all of a sudden, right? We've got... And I'm not going to get that for Kyler Murray. I know that. So... Right. 
That's and the Cardinals point. already and the Cardinals already have an extra first in this year's class. They have Houston's first, so that's probably like a mid first. Yeah, so like that's the kind of trade I'd be into. And if I was the Cardinals and I was sitting at two and Caleb Williams went first and Drake May is gonna go second, and I'm trading my Drake May pick, I'm like doing everything I can to manipulate the board into a three-way trade so that I can get to three and just pick Marvin Harrison Jr. Or I'm gonna right. get a pick that's gonna be in the top six or so so that I can get like a three-way trade to get back into the top six to get um, Malik Neighbors or what have you. Like, I I just want to manipulate the board to get one of those two marquee right. wide receivers. And then well, I'll able talk to. about first and, or my future first, pardon me, and uh, my roster player, and I'll hopefully go win my division next week or next year. I mean, next frankly, year. I mean, the thing is they could get two blue-chip prospects if you really think about it because they could potentially trade – they could potentially trade into a spot where they trade back a little bit. Then they use their other first round pick that they already have from Houston. They could even then trade back up and get like a neighbors or a Harrison and a like cornerstone tackle or a edge rusher or a like cornerback. Like it's, they they have like a lot of flexibility. I'm pretty excited to see what they do. Which is what they need to do with, with Kyler Murray on the team. Like they, like you said, there he's expensive. You can't just go sign free agents or re-sign your guys. Like you need to replenish with rookie year contract players that are high caliber. So this is the only real path I think to winning with Kyler Murray. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's pretty good, but he's not Patrick Mahomes. You're not going to just trot out, you know, Travis Kelsey at 34 years old and a bunch of nobodies and win your division. Yeah, and win your conference. Like he's going to need some help. So. I've, I've been convinced over the course of this talk. I think they need to to, to do the trade down plan. Um, I think so. As long, as long as they don't fuck it up. Like what often happens is these teams will make the trade that you want them to, and then they go and pick some guy you never heard of, and it's like that's what? true. And they pick but that's players. not what the play was. You you almost had it. You almost yeah. had the play. It's brutal. All right, let's talk about um, some wide receivers. You listed a bunch of them on the show sheet. Um, Anything in particular? We're going to get into fantasy talk now, people. I didn't have a good segue. I don't know. Sorry about that. You know what? Actually, before we get into that, let's quickly talk fantasy on Justin Fields because I do think he's still interesting. Uh, we talked about him like two weeks ago. My opinion's the same. What did you say? I said he's overvalued. I would pay a late first-round pick. Even still, he's overvalued? Even yeah, because even he's, he's, worth like, he's, worth like, he's worth like well over a first-round pick. But he's like even with like Jared Goff. Okay, but we talked about this last time. Like everyone in this tier is undervalued relative to Jared Goff. <laughs> That's true. Okay, fine. We won't talk about it then. I just I think he's going to start again somewhere. I don't think he's done in the NFL. I agree. Let's move on. I agree that he'll start again somewhere. I just think that once you've been punted by your first team, you're then on you're situational the value. <laughs> so he's like, I agree. He'll start somewhere else next year, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule him completely out from turning it around where we get like, oh, Justin Fields. And then like and then maybe he gets and then, like, and then maybe you. Right. And then maybe he gets like a big contract and then things don't really ever work out. And then it's like, oh, Justin Fields. But then after that, then someone's like, oh, well, well, well Justin Fields. Like I could I could still see him having like an eight-year starting career. I don't think that's like totally out of the realm of possibilities. I also think he could have like a two-year starting career, but I definitely don't think this is the last year. I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's good. 
That is a good way to put it. Okay, so there, there's five wide receivers that are all kind of clumped together. Okay. Uh, that are all approximately 23.5 to 25.0 years old. Right. So the oldest one of them is like the newest addition to the NFL, I'm pretty sure. What's that? And the, the oldest one of the bunch might be the rookie. Uh, no, Noanda Smith is older. Oh, as right. is Jalen Waddle. Okay, right. so we got Chris Olave, Jalen Waddle, Garrett Wilson, Tank Dell, new addition to this tr- or quad quadro, I guess, and Devonta Smith. So what I want to know from you is who's your favorite and who's your least favorite, I guess, is maybe the way to put it. And then also, oh. if Tank Dell isn't one of those, how do how, how, how do you find Tank Dell's placement in this group? Uh, my favorite is definitely Garrett Wilson. Um, Garrett Wilson... I've always been a massive Garrett Wilson fan uh, and this year has been very annoying in that he's had to play with a fellow Wilson again, but 32% target share granted his receiver weapon room is like horrific. So um, probably hitting the maximum. (laughs) Yeah. Who is an healthy and active this week. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, but 32% target share, I, I mean, again, this is just like a, an anecdotal take, but when we get into this sort of like sub-JJ chase tier of players, I'm looking at like who can potentially join that tier, and it's like how, how many ways can they win is kind of important to me. And I look at Wilson, and he's the one that I think has the true three-level game. Like in basketball, they always use the term three-level scorer, right? Can you shoot in the mid-range? Can you finish at the rim? Can you shoot from behind the arc? I think of it the same way with wide receivers. Like, can you win after the catch? Can you win in the intermediate areas? Can you win down the field? And Wilson, to me, of all of these guys in this tier, is the one who is a legitimate value-adding player at all three levels. He has the quick twitch and athleticism to be a massive after-the-catch threat. He has the speed to get downfield, sub-4, 440. Can win at the catch point downfield really impressively for a slender guy and has that route running and separation ability in the intermediate areas. So uh, I think Wilson is a legitimate superstar. Um, his peripheral profile says it. I think watching him backs that. Uh, and I think it's just a matter of time for him at the quarterback. So he's the one I would take. I, I think he's the one that has the highest ceiling. All these guys have a really high ceiling, but he's the one, if I had to bet on like multiple 20 plus point per game seasons from, he's going to need the circumstances to work out in his favor. But I, I do think he has that type of ability within him yeah i actually unfortunately agree with you garrett wilson is my favorite of the five um all the same things 32 percent target share plays 100 percent of the snaps plays 100 percent of the routes looks like a guy who is in fact just awesome so it's just a matter of time zach wilson surely cannot find his way back onto the field i would hope i actually think that like I just wrote about it for the patrons today. So, yeah, anyways, I think Garrett Wilson's like a, like a decent buy right now, even though we're heading into the playoffs and he's not producing very many points. Yeah, I'm trying to buy him. Pretty hard to buy, but if possible. He's hard to buy, for sure. Like, he's not yeah. cheap by any stretch. But he's, yeah. like, we're, we're, we're through the Zach Wilson era. Like, it's not coming back at this point. It can't. <laughs> So we, we made it through. Yeah. You're enjoying the Tim Boyle era so far? Now we're in the Tim Boyle era. It can't last much longer. We've got Aaron Rodgers coming back, and we've got back. Simeon, who is not very good. But, like, Trevor Simeon actually – He would, like, certainly be the best quarterback you play with this year. 
he actually started football games for a real team on purpose for like a whole year. Like yeah, they went like eight and eight or something. It wasn't they weren't like even like yeah. the worst team of all time. He was fine. He's he's not a good quarterback, but he's fine. And Garrett Wilson just needs fine in order to start putting up some decent fantasy points. And then next year, assuming Rodgers is healthy or they go another way with I don't know, Rodgers retires and they get another quarterback, presumably. No, I think he'll, I think I think it'll almost certainly be Rodgers next year. I, it has to be, I would imagine. The only way I think it isn't is if he rushes back from this injury and re-injures himself and he's just like, I'm out. No, I would think it will almost certainly be Rodgers next year. So, yeah. Anyways, Garrett Wilson, future's bright. It just, I think there's a chance it happens in the playoffs this year, fantasy playoffs. So, I think it's not too early to buy him is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, agreed. For sure. Um, least favorite of these five? That's a tough one. Uh it's it's definitely not Alave. He's like clearly my second after Wilson. Um, so I think it becomes like a floor versus a ceiling bet here. I think that the floor option of this group, you named four names. Is there anyone else um, that There's I'm missing? Five. There's Alave, oh, Waddle, Wilson, Dell, and Smith. Okay, same difference. It's not Alave. He's second. Um, Waddle and Smith are, like, virtually the same guy to me. Um, my take has always been that I think Smith is a little bit better, and I think that Waddle's in a little better situation, just in the sense that they're kind of in a similar situation, but the guy that's blocking Waddle is probably going to get out of the way a lot sooner than the guy who's blocking Smith. So I, I guess... Like, from a dynasty perspective, I probably slightly prefer Waddle. I also think Smith is, like, a better all-around wide receiver. I think Waddle's more limited. He struggles more against press coverage. I just think that he, as long as he's with McDaniel, like I just trust McDaniel to take talented players and put them in six positions to succeed. So I just think Waddle will always have his strengths emphasized, um, not his weaknesses, because that's what good coaching does. And I think once Hill eventually moves on, he'll just be the recipient of a lot of those manufactured touches where the offense just seems to be an offense is about putting the ball in the hands of their best players right now. Hill's their best player, but I feel like if he wasn't, then they would just funnel that through Waddle. Um, so I guess it's then Smith or Dell and it's tough because Smith and Waddle are going to be like very good, useful fantasy players that have easily tradable value for the entirety of their careers. Dell's a little sketchier just because he's a lower sample size, pretty questionable prospect. And yet, he's already scoring more points per game than Devon Smith has ever scored. I think more points per game than Jalen Waddle's ever scored. Correct. Uh, he has nobody in front of him blocking him. And the best thing he has going for him... Well, this, that's what I was going to say. He has the best... <laughs> Roberts. He, he, Nico Collins is the best person for him to have because Nico Collins is absolutely good enough that they don't need to prioritize adding a receiver. See, that's but he's not quite as good as Tank Dell, so he's like a perfect running mate to have. Where if they didn't have a Nico Collins, this could potentially be a team that would be looking to make a massive splash at receiver. But I don't think that they're going to be looking to do that because I think that they look at Dell and Collins. They say, we're good here. We have these two young guys. We have other holes. Let's just roll with these guys. So the only question I guess I have about Dell is like how much of it is him versus how much of it is Stroud, who I just think is unbelievably special. But 
as long as it's just him and Nico and Stroud together, we don't need to find out. And, and Robert Woods. <laughs> right, okay. As long as it's Nico, Dell, and Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess I guess my answer is that I actually would say very, very slightly Devonta is my least favorite. But I think the really Devonta and Waddle is Spider-Man meme. So it's really do I prefer the safety of Devonta and Waddle or the upside of Dell? And I think I would just rather shoot for the moon with Tank Dell. Yeah, I think uh, I think like I, I'm not as close with Waddle and Smith as you are. I don't think I think I like Waddle more than I like Smith by by a, not like what, what's, what's the reasoning behind that? Well, Waddle's tied to Tua Tonga and Mike McDaniel, who are like pretty I think reliably going to have strong offenses for the rest of their careers. Okay, yeah, and. Tyreek Hill is like 30 or 31 now. He's somewhere he's in that ballpark. But yeah. Is he 29? So like he's pretty old anyway. They're not like yeah. Waddle and Tyreek are not the same age. Whereas Devonta right. and AJ Brown are pretty damn close to the same age, They're like 1.4 years apart. And then we have Jalen Hurts, who I think is like a good quarterback. I don't know that he's a great passer. I don't know that they're really ever going to be a high volume passing offense. Whereas I'm pretty sure the dolphins are always going to be a high volume passing offense. And I just think that Waddle has a higher ceiling in the near future than I think Devonta Smith has. Yeah, I think if you I agree with that. were to plunk them on opposite teams, like you put Smith on Miami and Waddle on Philly, I'm probably saying the exact same things, but in favor of Devonta Smith. <laughs> like I think yeah. it's, it's situational for me. I think I just like the Dolphins situation a lot better than I like the Eagles situation for wide receiver fantasy points production. And That's then, fair. And, and frankly, they're probably both too good for their situations to change. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, it, you'd be hard-pressed to see how either team lets these guys go. Yeah, like, Jalen Hurts isn't going anywhere. And Tua Tungabalo isn't going anywhere. It's just which wide receiver one is going to age out first. It's probably the 29, 30-year-old yeah. Tyree Kill over the 26-year-old right. A.J. Brown. Because I guess my, my case for Smith is that I think he's a more well-rounded player. So I think yeah. that if like if somehow he like went to a different team or Waddle went to a different team, like I like Smith in more of those scenarios. But I, I guess they're probably just playing with their own teams for a while. But maybe not because star wide receivers seemingly get traded all the time, even though I don't know why they do. I feel like they never used to. I think that's like a recent phenomenon. It's not a good phenomenon. Like it's a pretty important position. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it, what it was is was. The teams were like pushing back on the salaries right. they were asking for, and we're just like, "Fine, go somewhere else." Then, well, here we'll this is like maybe this is maybe too, this is maybe too micro overtake, but here's maybe another argument in favor of Waddle. Like, um, this is this is getting back into salary capology. So apologies again if if someone's actual capologist and they don't like my amateur capology, but um, there's basically like what what. The situation is with the cap is there's almost two tiers of cap teams. I've heard Eric Eager explain this on podcast before, and I'm kind of to basically do the, the best impersonation I can. Where like there are some teams like the Chiefs, for example, as one, and the Titans, for example, or another, two teams that traded away receivers, where their owners are pretty unwilling to do these escrow restructures. Or basically what the teams do is they add these void years onto their contracts such that their base salary becomes almost nothing. Everything goes into a bonus. The bonus is 
like all paid out and then reallocated. But the problem is that the owner has to front all of that cash immediately in order to restructure the salaries that way. And some owners are willing to do that and some are not. And if you're willing to do that, because you're willing to just add in all these void years and bonus into oblivion, you can effectively spend a lot more money because you can manipulate the cap in that way. Both the Dolphins and the Eagles are teams that max restructure. Like the, uh, what's his name? Steven Ross and Jeffrey Lurie are both very willing to do this, which makes me think that like even as they have to potentially pay Tua, Hill, Waddle, Brown, Hurt, Smith at the same time, I think they'll just figure out how to do it because they are willing to spend as much actual cash as possible to make it work under the cap. So I think that they probably keep all three guys in a way that like the Bengals, which are not a team that's willing to do that, like I think they could make a way they could find a way to make T. Higgins work under the salary cap. They would just have to spend a lot of actual money to do it, and the Bengals don't want to spend actual money. Makes sense. I think the other thing that we didn't even touch on is that uh Dallas Goder, it's better than Durham Smith Smythe. Have you seen his name? Yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah. Anyways. Miami will probably add a Dallas Goddard level target earner at some point. Probably. Around the time that Tyreek Hill hangs up his cheetah paws. I think they need one now. Probably. Yeah, they, they pretty much just passed the Tyreek and. But they don't have, like, their, their third line. option. Well, their third option, I guess, is throwing the running backs. But, like, their third option, excluding the running backs, is, like, it's either Smythe or, like, I don't know, is it, like, Robbie Chosen Anderson, who they've, like, caught and re-signed, like, six times this year? They could probably actually really use someone like Robert Woods. They could use someone like Robert Woods. Like, just, like, like I'm not, I'm being slightly facetious only because we just made fun of Robert Woods. But, like, they could use, they just need, like, a nice, like, warm body They could use, like, a, they could use, like, a Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry would be great. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they need they need just some like large guy over the middle who just like can catch a drag route. Yeah, they unfortunately weren't able to hang on to the exquisite talents of Mike Kosecki, who had to join Hunter Henry and. Well, but he was not what they needed because Mike Kosecki yeah. like can't block and he's just like a slot receiver. Whatever. They need, like, but like, they need like a possess. They need a possession option. Yeah, yeah. yeah they need yeah. a possession option. That's exactly what they need. They need like a who's that uh, tight end that the. The Ravens just, or no, not the Ravens. The Raiders just drafted um, Michael uh, Mayer. Myers. Michael Mayer. Mayer? Mayer. Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer. That's who they need. They need yeah. that guy. They should take. Yeah. Him. Anyways, so then, it, yeah, for me, I think uh, it really comes down to Tank Dell versus Devonta Smith, and I think you're absolutely. So you like right. Waddle more than Dell? I think I like Waddle more than Dell. I I don't know. Okay. I, I think so. I'm not 100 percent sure. But I think it's That's pretty fair. clear to me that I, I like Dell more than Devonta. I think. Okay, I'm pretty sure. Because I think like, All right. yeah, I think he kind of nailed it with Nico Collins. Like, he, Nico Collins is like a good. He's a, he's a meat shield. He's like a draft capital meat shield. Exactly. He's just going to prevent the Texans from investing <laughs> in someone that's going to come in and eat Tank Dell's lunch. And Tank Dell is a small guy, so like, I don't know how that's going to work out if they got someone right. It's like it's like when you're on Survivor and you know you're like, oh, I'm a pretty big threat. I don't know. I don't know if I want to like get rid of the other guy, the other strong guys in the team. You need to keep some like stronger guys on the team around, but you don't want to keep like the master strategist that'll vote you on. You want to just keep like some dumb, like muscly guy who people are gonna be like, don't let him get on immunity run, right? Like you want to keep like James Clement. Nico Collins is James Clement. 
I, I don't know who James Clement is, but uh, nobody. Uh, well, the pe- people love the Survivor None references. Our listeners watch Survivor. They're all no, they all do. Every time we do Survivor references on the show, people love it. I get I get hundreds of direct messages saying, <laughs> yeah, "No, you don't." Is an actual show on television still? Thought that was yeah, it was on tonight. I haven't watched yet. I'm still in the office. Well, that was a singular <laughs> season show that was canceled in 2008. Okay. So anyway, I'm good yeah, Tank Dell looks really good. Um, he's he's your rookie wide receiver one now? Because I think we talked about this two weeks ago, maybe, or maybe we talked about it offline, and he was already my wide receiver one at that point. I mean, I'm obviously still on the train. Nothing has changed since. You're, you're just like, I don't know. I think It's so hard for me to just be like, it's not Puka Nakua. Yeah, not that hard for me. Because like, but here's the thing. I didn't even realize this until now. You can't even pick one based on names. They both have cool names. They have cool names, yeah. Like the name metric is is just one this season. So how how much cooler would it be though if it was named Tank Shell and then you'd have you could have Puka Shell. <laughs> and Tank Shell like makes a lot of sense too. Like they fire large shells. So yeah. Works on many levels. Uh, we're, gonna, um, we're gonna mess that one up. Tank. So let's talk about Puka because this was this was the fascinating part. Is so like I, I'm kind of in a bubble with valuations sometimes. Where like I, I make it a point not to look at fantasy cop and keep trade cut because I don't really care. Um, and so on a case, I tend to probably I think have a pretty good feel of what guys go for in my leagues. But sometimes I'll see a player hasn't been traded for a while in any of my leagues, and. You know, I run in a certain circle. I talk to a lot of the same people all the time. And so sometimes if, the, if that circle that I talk to and the market starts to diverge, I get a little bit of an incorrect sense of a player's value. So in my circle, I'm kind of the puka hater. Um, we get people like D-Plot, David, who's always beefing with me about puka. We get Paul, uh, Paul DFF, so I was beefing with me about puka. Um, Zoltan, Dynasty Zoltan's always beefing with me about Puka. I was still under the impression that everybody had Puka as like a borderline top five Dynasty wide receiver and that I was the hater until we did this show and we found out that I'm actually not a Puka hater. Everyone else is a Puka hater. He's down to wide receiver 20 on Fantasy Calc, wide receiver 24 and keep trade cut. I'm actually above the market on Puka. So take that, Puka lovers. There you go. I don't know what you're supposed to take. I, I guess I just have a milk toast opinion on Puka. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think you got to take P- Tank Dell at this point because I think they're both very impressive. But I think Tank Dell with like CJ Stroud is that's the trump card. And uh, that end, he's just to me is like a much more impressive player. Like he wins. I mean, we're talking about the three level stuff. You he wins him, and you love Pukanikua as prospects. I hated both these guys as prospects. <laughs> I just I, I hate every wide receiver. Did the show one time a long time ago. I think it was in draft season, and it came out that Tank Dell was ranked as a coin flip in my process. And you're like, "What? How could that be possible? Wasn't that you? Probably. It sounds like me." And Puka Nakua was a bust, and we agreed on that. And 
And anyways, now to see you being the Tank Dell stand, saying that he's just a more impressive player overall is is uh, I agree. Yeah. Well, I think he wins in more. I think he wins in more ways. Like he's winning. He has a really interesting profile, and in that he's getting like a lot of gadgety touches where they're running him on end arounds, they're forcing screens to him. He's been fun after the catch. But then he's also winning deep. Like, he's winning on posts and go routes and double moves. So, like, if you can combine being a massive deep threat and be a yak threat, like, I'm not going to say he's Tyree Kill, but that's a Tyree Kill-esque profile, right? That's a very interesting profile where you can combine the high dot splash plays with the PPR floor of gadget touches. That's not a particularly common combination that people are able to put together with puka i, I uh, to me it's more of the like sean mcveigh stuff it's like the sort of intermediate in breaking crossers mixed with these like schemed release targets like he's getting a far higher percentage of scheme targets than cooper cop even since he's been back are you concerned and, that sean mcveigh is going to get fired no, but this offense hasn't been good in a while. Like this offense was good at the beginning of the season. It wasn't really good last year. It hasn't been good the last six weeks. Well, Stafford hasn't been good the last six weeks. Year, basically. It wasn't good when Stafford was playing either. He was injured. He came into the season with a neck injury. Uh, he came into the season, I think, with a elbow injury, and then he developed a neck it, injury. What was it this year was a neck injury, then? Do you have a neck injury this year? Yeah, I thought he was like in a retirement. thumb injury this year. Time. He took a, He had a neck injury last year that he sustained in like the middle of the season. Yeah, I think that he had it like all throughout the season. Oh, season he, he played. I mean, well, here, newsflash. Matthew Stafford's old and breaking apart. Like, yeah. I mean, that's just like part of part of the deal, <laughs> right? I mean, part, part of the deal with the Rams is they're quarterbacks by like a very old man where, frankly, any game could be his last. Um. And I don't really know what their plan is after Stafford. So, like, that's part of the concern with Puka. I, I wouldn't say that I, like, uh, to be clear, like, I don't think that Puka is bad. I'm just not convinced that he is special. Like, I'm not, I'm not convinced that he's, like, a particularly dynamic player. And so I understand that he's compiling a lot of very impressive stats. I, I just... He's not winning in ways that truly elite players tend to win. He's he's winning as a compiler. So to me, he's like a Jarvis Landry, most likely, and a Keenan Allen at best. But I don't know that he's the technician of a Keenan Allen. Like Keenan Allen's a pretty special route runner. I think he's more likely Jarvis Landry, Robert Woods. So like a top 12 wide receiver for the rest of his life? Uh, not if you go by points per game. Robert Woods had what? How many seasons of top 12 points per game? Like one? Three, you think? Robert Woods? Don't think Three. so. Pretty well his whole time in uh, in uh, LA. He was a top 12 wide receiver, I thought. Maybe top 18. He had a lot of like wide receiver 11 with in total points with 16 games played seasons that I think were more like in the wide receiver 16, wide receiver 17. I, th- I think he's going to be a high-end wide receiver too. Is my guess for Puka. I understand the target share is very. But we've seen. I, I guess my my pushback on this Puka stuff is first off, his prospect profile is more interesting than I initially get credit for when you dive into some of the per rote numbers and stuff. That's valid. We still should not have had very high priors for round five pick. 
We should have moved off those priors, at least to some extent, after his early season run. Absolutely. Do I think we should have crowned him a top five dynasty wide receiver? Too rich for me when there's other studs that have been thoroughbreds their whole life. I don't think it was crazy to. I think it's odd that we were willing to react so strongly to his first six weeks, but then some people at least have then not reacted very strongly to his last six weeks of basically doing nothing outside of one game. And I understand that his target earning ability has been stable, but like target earning ability alone does not make one a top five dynasty wide receiver. Deontay Johnson's not a top five dynasty wide receiver. Jarvis Landry's not a top five dynasty wide receiver. Like players who are not dynamic, who just compile and live at a 25 to 30% target share. There's a place for those guys at wide receiver 16 of dynasty rankings. That's to me like where Puka belongs. Like Michael Pittman is a 30% target share guy right now. He's not a dynamic player. Nobody's talking about him as a top five dynasty wide receiver. I mean, sure. You're talking about guys that are, you know, that certainly didn't do this as rookies. Like Jarvis Landry came in as a rookie, immediately earned a million targets. And that's just who he was as a player. And then he was that player his whole life. Not 30% of the targets. Jarvis Landry. uh... He maybe had 22%. His second year, I think he had 100 receptions, but not his rookie year. Yeah, his second year, he had 110 receptions. Um, I mean, Keenan Allen had like a berserk target share when he came in and he just got hurt. Um, I don't remember the specifics of like, I'm not going to be able to look up all of Jarvis Landry's like row participation by week or whatever in the middle of the podcast. But I, I just think it's a matter of skill sets. Like is Puka going to become faster overnight? Is he going to become like a more twitchy player overnight? Like I just think we kind of, I think he's like pretty ready-made. Look, athleticism matters in football. Like it's a sport about athleticism and Puka's not an unathletic player by any stretch. Jarvis Landry is 18.9% target share in his rookie year. What was his targets per route run? Uh, it doesn't, they don't have that. It's, too, it's 2014, man. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't want to like look up all the, if I, I just, if I recall correctly, by the end of that year, he was like getting absolutely uh, peppered. Um, I'll, I'll look this up at some point for the people. Oh yeah. No, he got 11, 11, 6, 11, 9, 9. Yeah. Yeah. In the year. Okay. There we go. So, so like not that good. Like, uh, wait, 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 are you saying not that good to go 10, 5, 11, 11, 6, 11, 9, 9? Really nothing impressive. Um, anyway, that's my stats on Puka. He's Michael Pittman. He's Jarvis Landry. He's Robert Woods. Um, at wide receiver 20, like, it's, I, I yeah, sure. I, I mean, I kind of felt more or less similar about Amon Ross St. Brown as I did about Puka. The difference is that no one ever talked about Amon Ross St. Brown like a top five wide receiver after his rookie season. He was valued as like a wide receiver 35 or whatever. So I had him ranked like... Wide receiver 20 is a rookie. No, he was not. He was not. He was absolutely not. No, I looked this up. He was valued at at like wide receiver 33. Because I had him a wide receiver 21 um, in my rankings. I, I went and looked back in time. And he was like a glaring, glaring buy. Like he was like my number one buy of the offseason. And I had him ranked like wide receiver 21. Huh. Um, and I'm way above consensus. 
And if we had treated Puka like we treated Amon Ra, I would once again have him way above the consensus. Now, I guess we kind of are. Like now, wide receiver 20. I don't have my ranks in front of me. You listed out, why don't you do it? We talked about this pre show. You listed out the wide receivers ranked in front of them. You listed out like the six immediate guys. And there was only one that I agree should be ahead of them. So I'm looking to keep straight cut. Not perfect. But I'm on Ross St. Brown on January 16th of 2022 was wide receiver 19. Where did, where was his little delineation after that? Uh, he went down to wide receiver 30 by July. Yeah. Wide receiver 30. There you go. And then back up in oh, – that's really hard to tell. They're not showing the dates. Yeah, September he was back up to – Well, once he started scoring a million points. I never mind. Once good. he regained his awesomeness. So, like, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. Pukeniku is right there. And he's a more – like, Pukeniku is rookie year is more impressive than Almond Ra's, right? I guess I, I just like don't care about the numbers as much as you guys do. He's sh- he's showed the same skills that Amon Ra showed. He's got a profile erasing PFF grade. Cool, Amon Ra did too, and then they then then they erased his eraser like a year after the fact. <laughs> but <laughs> at the time, at the time it was erasing. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, okay. So you hate Pukunikua, even though at wide receiver twenty prices, there's nobody above him you'd rather have. No, so so why why don't you for the people like we did this before the show? But can you can you list out the five names directly out of Puka just so I can illustrate that I'm not actually hater? Puka Nakua on what is this? Fantasy Calc is wide receiver twenty. The players immediately preceding him in the overall uh, fantasy calc points system are Devontae Adams, Zay Flowers, DK Metcalf, Brandon Ayuk, DJ Moore, Keenan Allen, Michael Pittman, and then we get into the Devonta Tank, Wilson Waddle. Olave here. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll, as you mentioned, uh, Brandon Ayuk is the only one of those names that I do prefer over Pukunikua. Um, I will take Pukunikua over all those other guys pretty comfortably. He's had a much more impressive rookie year than Zay Flowers. I said he is Michael Pittman, so if I'm taking Michael Pittman, I will take the 22-year-old version with theoretical upside to prove me wrong and be better than Michael Pittman versus actual 25, 26-year-old Michael Pittman. Um, and DJ Morgan out of here, Devontae Adams is a million years old and Puka's probably going to score more points than him the rest of the season. Uh, and I don't know who else you named, but Puka over the rest of them. That's fair. I, I think, yeah, for me, I think Puka would slot in right after like the guys we just talked about, like the, the five guys that we just yeah. talked through. Yeah. So then we don't even really disagree. Because I, I think, like, to me, there's this little trio of Waddle, Ayuk, and Smith, who is, like, a group of wide receivers that I just think are clearly better than they score. And I think that they've demonstrated the requisite skill set where at some point in their lives, I think a 17, 18-point-per-game season is coming. Um, it's funny. We both, uh, we both thought this way pre-show, but, like, Ayuk is rated behind those guys. I think we both like Ayuk the best of the three. Yeah. Um, so uh, after that, like those, those to me are the, is kind of the end of like the superstar guys. And then Puka would be my highest. Like I would rather have Puka than Metcalf. I'd rather have Puka than Getman. I'd rather have Puka than the rest of the league. The better question is Puka Nakua or J- JSN or Jordan Addison? Because those guys are both first round picks that are doing Puka, Puka. kind of okay. Puka. You're just, Throwing the JSN's not doing kind of okay. JSN's doing bad. He's fine. He's in a rough spot. 
I, I don't give this rough spot stuff credence. If JSN was if JSN was doing what I thought he would do this year, which was running 65% of the routes, not scoring a lot of fantasy points because he's not running enough routes, putting up 1.9 yards per route run and 24% targets per route run, then sure. But he's earned a pretty mediocre amount of targets when you consider the fact that he has a running back ADOT. And he's not been efficient. His PFF grades in the tank. Um, I, I would go as far as to say he's like a sell, like a priority sell. Juno Smith isn't efficient. Nobody's efficient in that offense. DK Metcalf isn't. The efficient. other, the other, the other guy. Well, DK Metcalf is always inefficient. It's not very good. <laughs> like he's got sixteen point two percent target share already. With okay, cool. Six games to go. Yeah, and on what? An eight out of three. Uh, six point four. Okay, let's play a game. Um, who has the higher PFF grade? Jackson Smith and Jigba. Or Darius Davis. Interestingly, I, I, I don't mean to sidebar this, but interesting. Jackson Smith and Jigba or Malik Heath? Jackson Smith and Jigba or Dontavian Wicks? There's almost a 100% correlation between yards per route run and PFF grade sure. per many people on Twitter today. I don't think that's actually as, uh, as big of a problem as other people think it is. I think it make, makes perfect sense. I think it's just... I think it just makes PFF grades so meaningless. Um, well, no, I think you can say that they're you can say that they're duplicative or unnecessary. But like, unnecessary. You know, we, we, first of all, like it, it, to me, it makes sense because we know that we know that rookie year yards per route run is like a very predictive stat oh, for wide receivers. Metric, yes. We know that rookie PFF grade is a very predictive stat for rookie wide receivers. We know that they're both in some way is kind of trying to do the same thing, which is like describing how good a player is in a given year. So it makes sense that the players who are playing better to the eye are also the ones who are really efficient. So like, I actually don't think it's that big of a problem. Like I, I don't think it's meaning like it. Just, I've seen some like conspiracy theorists who are like, are they just like creating a grade? And like, I don't think that they are. No, maybe not. they are. That's ridiculous. Um, absolutely not doing that. I think I think probably what they are is they're probably just human beings, and they're probably not doing quite a good enough job of separating the result of a play from how they're grading it. Yeah, and it's allowing the results to skew the grades. But I also think that even if they were perfectly unskewed, that the players who are playing better probably more often than not get the better results. I. Completely agree because yards per route run is largely a volume stat, like not like from a uh, how do I put it? Like it's a volume stat, and that the good players will typically get, run the and get the most yards, right? Like it's it's yards. Well, you don't need to, you don't need to run the most routes to get a high yards per route run. You just need to so earn a lot of targets. On you get the route. most targets, yeah. so you're necessarily going to have the most yards per route run because yards are a function of targets and yeah. Anyways, it's just like it's kind of just whatever. Like it's, I don't yeah. think it's like a huge problem per se. I just think it's like hilariously unnecessary. Like they're going through all this work to to scout all these targets, right. and then it's like, oh yeah, actually, you, you could have just taken the totals and and divided it, and you'd be fine. But he got there anyway. And I, just uh, I would legitimately. Hey. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I, I was I was interrupting you rudely for no reason. I agree with no. everything you're saying. 
it's fine. I just I just wanted to say that yards per route run and PFF grade being the same thing is like absolutely like hilarious and also like it should absolutely like tank the perception of PFF in my opinion as a completely unnecessary endeavor. <laughs> Uh, I probably won't go quite that far, but um, it's totally unnecessary. Well, like if you're getting the same thing out of it, then who cares? What does it matter? Yeah, what are you learning a from a PFF grade that you're not learning from yards per run? Right, not much, I guess. Um, just unnecessary. It's a, it's a worth, it's a, it's not worthwhile. It's worth less. But I, mean, I would argue it'd be even weirder if you looked at a player at like two point two yards per run and they had like a PFF grade of fifty two. I don't know if it'd be that weird to me. Like, it, I feel like if they're not, uh, like, I don't. I guess I was under the impression originally when I first started looking at PFF grades, I was under the impression that they were like doing like what Matt Hardman does to some degree, and they're not. Right. They're like doing it as they're giving a player a grade on a scale of like negative two to positive two, which is a weird thing to do. Why not just make it zero to right. four? Whatever, doesn't matter. And it's like. The two is for like a really good play. A one is for like a good play. A negative one is for yeah. a bad play. And a negative two is for a really bad play. And it's like, well, like, I don't know. I would have thought that there's some like process that isn't tied to the outcome there. But really, it doesn't seem to be the case. Like, I'm imagining if somebody drops the football, like a drop would probably be a negative two pretty much across the board. Right. Like, that would be a bad play. And it's like, well, then why are we grading it? Like, we need to use drops then. I don't know. Right. Maybe, maybe that's why PFF always tweets out those drop stats. Drop stats. That, yeah, that's, just, that's just what the grading is. Okay, so Jackson Smith and Jigba currently. Oh, man. Some of this fantasy calc stuff is like where I feel like people are selves, and then I look at fantasy calc, I'm like, actually, it's fine. Um, so I'm seeing that Jackson Smith and Jigba is like, Okay, so he's right next to Jordan Addison. I think that's probably reasonable. He's behind Zay Flowers. I think that's probably reasonable. So how about T. Higgins? That's interesting. Um, I take T. Higgins, I think. I would take T. Higgins. He's ahead of Drake London. That's, like, incorrect to me. I prefer Drake London, like, solidly. Um, according to Fantasy Calc, I got the steal of a century today because I traded away JSN in a league where... I'll be honest. Like I'm, I'm going all. I've decided I'm kind of pushing the chips in this year. I looked at my team. I won this league last year. I think I have a pretty reasonable chance to defend. But I looked at my team. I was like, I don't think I have the value to contend next year. So let's just let's just leave it on the floor. We're blowing this shit up next year. So I traded JSN away for I traded JSN and Ty Conklin. Ty Conklin was a big part of this deal um, for Mike Evans, Christian Kirk, and two thirds in a start 11, very deep dynasty league. And I was like, man, I don't know if I feel about this on value. I went to fantasy Calc. Mike Evans is above JSN. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a little so my, this, this is one of those things where, um, you know, some, some of these things on fantasy Calc, I don't really believe. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'll tell you what, you take your Mike Evans around town. Only you're getting JSN one for one very frequently. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you would either. But yeah, T. Higgins seems wildly out of place. Drake London obviously is like the most out of place. Who is? 
Drake London. Oh yeah, but sure. I, I I also like get it. But that's because for the record, for the record, like his his stats are once again terrific. Like he is once again over an eighty um, PFF grade despite living in hell. He has one point eight eight yards per route run despite living in hell. Like he continues to post like very very high end peripheral stats um, despite being in a horrible situation. So like there's no there's no reason to downgrade Drake London. Like his targets per route run is is once again like very strong. Um, so there's there's really no reason to be leery of him. Um, it's just that he's basically just the same guy he was last year because the situation coming in, it was like, oh, it could be the same or it could get better, and, and it was the same. Maybe it'll never get better. I don't know. We probably we, we probably need the Saints. We probably really needed the Saints to win this game last week. It's like quite. I know that I bet on the Falcons like everywhere to win the NFC South, but I'm I'm rooting against it at this point for the sake of London and and Ted. Sake of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, for the sake of like Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, Jason. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like he's fine. I'm not like. I never thought he was a superstar though. I think maybe that's why I'm like kind of just like yeah, he's fine. Fine. It's no big deal. I mean, he's kind of having a Rashad Bateman rookie season. Yeah. Yeah. He's not priced like Rashad. He's having a Rashad Bateman rookie season. I don't know. I don't remember Rashad Bateman being very cheap. But so JSN here would be like here would be my pitch for JSN. Don't trade him like laterally, but like how much do you have to add to JSN to just like. Like I okay here here's here's what I would say is if you have JSN on a contender for instance, like maybe this will vary league to league, in terms of how much you'd have to add. I think in some leagues not much, um, just based on kind of like how I think the Twitter bubble tends to go with young players. Like if you if you have JSN in a spot, do, I still we talked about this before. I still think he's probably going to be a good player. Probably don't think he's like a total bust. I do think if he was going to be a superstar, we would see some superstar-y things by now. We haven't. Are you missing out on that much of a ceiling where if you just trade him for, like, an older stud, like, could you still go and trade JSN plus not that much and go get, like, digs? Um, Like, that would be pretty intriguing to me where, like, you could really supercharge your lineup for not that much. And it's like, I feel like... My guess is JSN has like a Christian Kirky career. Yeah. Yeah. So like this is kind of wild. And this is over the last essentially two weeks. So November 15th onward, there's been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Jackson Smith did you go for Tank Dells basically straight up. Wow. I don't, th- I don't know if you can get that one today. That's probably out the window. Last one was on the 25th. So that would have been on Saturday. Three days ago. Okay. Interesting. But like that's one, one on the twenty fifth. So like it's not right. common, but it's like it's out there. They're they're not all like straight up like some like one has a round two with Smith for the a round three with Tank Dell. Another one has a round two with Smith for Dell, and the other ones are all straight up or or adding a third to Dell. So it's like pretty yeah. wild. But let's just see Puka Nakua if there's anything going on there. So, 
Uh, JSN in a second for Puka. JSN. Oh, these are like these are like a month ago, so they're out out of date. That's not happening. Okay, That's let's just happen. let's just hear let's just hear the Puka trades generally because I'm curious about this since I have uh, I I have bubble theories about him. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, so Puka Nakua for uh, Puka and Hendon Hooker. So basically, nothing for Michael Pittman. Uh, uh, Puka, they're the same guy. I'll take the younger one, who's maybe not the same guy. Puka in a third for Kenneth Walker in a second. Uh, Puka in a third Puka. for Brandon Ayuk. Ayuk. Jaden Reed in a second for Puka Nakua and a fourth. Puka. Uh, first and second for Puka and Isaiah Likely. Um, impossible to say without knowing what the first status is. Uh, Jameson Williams, a second and a fourth for Puka. <laughs> Kenneth Walker for Puka. Puka. Another Pittman for Puka. Um, Zach Moss and okay. Derek Carr. Okay, I'm, all right. So I, I, I've just been gaslit by the Puka community. I'm not a Puka hater at all. There's just there's just people who who love him more than they need to to acquire him. Yeah. Okay. There we go. I'm a Puka lover. I, see Puka, I love you. And there by the go. way, all those trades are within the last day. Oh wow. He's so like he's on the move. They're very recent. He's on the move, Kanakua. Ah, uh, I'm gonna go set some Puka offers. <laughs> all right. Um, what else? Oh, we want to stick with the Rams. Let's let's end there. We're ending there. You want to do it quick? Let's do one last one. Karen Williams. You have, you have sell now or sell later, which I am inclined to agree. Um, <laughs> There's no option here. With with Karen Williams, I will, here's what I'll read on one. I, I will literally just read from my Substack. Um, narrated for us. The Rams welcomed Karen Williams back into their backfield, and it was the wait, story wait, of the week. Wait, wait. Can you do the narration in like one of your survivor voices? The, the the listeners love it. Do you want the Russell Hans voice? Oh no, 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 something new, something new and fresh. A new Survivor voice? Oh yeah, okay. I'm gonna do Boston Rob. <laughs> hey, the Rams welcome Kyron into the backfield. It was the story of the week. He put up one of the highest scoring weeks of the year, over 200 total yards. There's no question for at least the remaining of the year. He's their featured back. I've not been very complimentary of Williams from a real-life perspective. I've also discussed a couple times this makes sense in the short term. Okay, that's enough. Williams is extremely adept in all phases of the passing game. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, no. Basically, my take is just right now, they don't have like a big explosive dream of a running back. Connor Williams makes the most sense. He allows them to play how they want to play, which is minimal substitutions, playing fast, spreading defenses out in 11 personnel, and then they can run against light boxes. Do you want to guess how many carries Connor Williams had this year against eight-man boxes? Zero. Yeah, zero. It's literally zero. And I, I think that that is important context to consider for how we evaluate his rushing efficiency. But I also do want to legitimately credit, like, Connor Williams is a value add in that he's very good passing down back, that you can play out there and no one's ever going to stack the boxes because he's not going to be that Cam Akers type. They're running, they're running, everybody stack the box. Like that versatility helps give him lighter boxes and that has real life value to the Rams and it's a it's, it's owed to Kyron's skill. So I want to be fair about that. Can, can I, I also just say, yeah, 
many years ago, there was a running back that played for the Rams. Uh, in fact, Sean McVay kind of took over, and then this running back skyrocketed to the top of the dynasty heap. Uh, his right. name was Todd Gurley, and he yes. also rarely ran into stack boxes. Like, rarely. right? Well, it's how it's it's wow. a it's how the Rams operate. But Cam Akers didn't do this because when they started, because the way well. Maybe he could have, but at least the way that the Rams deployed Acres was they did not trust him in pass protection and they didn't want him on passing downs. So they had to keep subbing him on and off. And when you have to do that, then the defense knows like, oh, Cam's on the field, it's a run, stack the box, and then it hurts your efficiency. So, you know, it's, it's clear that this Rams offense works best when they have this type of all systems player. Kyron Williams is not the explosive player Todd Gurley is, obviously. Um, and, and I guess my take is like, I think as long as he has this role, he's going to score a ton of fantasy points. He's going to have it for the rest of the year. It makes perfect sense why they would operate this way. And I'm not going to say never for him having it for a while later. Because never say never. It's just, you know, you're taking you're taking the risk into your own hands when you're betting on a sub 200 yard back of middling athleticism drafted in the late rounds being a long term solution, right? Like it's, it's just you're, you're not. It it could happen. You're you're just not playing. You're just not on the right side of the odds. So the question is, what's that worth? And yeah, I mean, I would sell. Like you said, sell now or sell later. There's no urgency to sell. He's going to be great the rest of the year, I, I suspect, as long as he's healthy. So I'm not selling for less than a first. Um, like, I mean, in fairness to Kyron Williams, right? What's Austin Eckler's future after this year? I don't fucking know. What's Saquon Barkley's future after this year? I don't know. Like, there's a lot of old running backs out there who I'm pretty questioning their future. So why not take Kyron Williams, right? Like, it, to me, if those guys are worth a late first, Kyron Williams should be worth a late first. Or at the very least, I wouldn't sell him for less. I wouldn't pay that for them either. So I'm, I wouldn't pay that for him. Um, what am I buying for? Probably nothing because he just scored 38 points and I don't think anyone's going to sell to me for less than a first. So I, I guess I'm, I'm selling now if someone wants to give me like a juicy mid first. And if for whatever reason I still have him on a team that's tanking, I would take a late first. Um, and otherwise, I'm, if I have him on a contending team and no one wants to overpay me, then I'll, I'll sell him later. And if not, you know, whatever. There's, I'm not saying you have to sell every old player that you have on your team now and to me, I would just view Kyron Williams like an old elite running back where we're living like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, I think um, I think Kyron Williams is on borrowed time. I don't think his time's gonna be up. This, the clock isn't striking midnight this year. I think we're gonna. It's gonna be so. Like we get these guys every year. We get these players that pop up out of nowhere. If you, I don't know if you remember a guy named C.J. Anderson. He did this exact oh, basic thing with the Denver Broncos as a rookie, I think it was. And yeah, I believe so. Basically just like took over and dominated the rest of his rookie year and then was like a mid-range to low-end RB2 thereafter. Yeah. Um, I would expect that. We have like James Robinson who's done something like this. Damian Pierce did something like this last year. Like Alfred Morris, if you go back, there's, there's a ton well, of... Well, the one thing that Williams has over... James Robinson and Damian Pierce and even Alfred Morris is he actually does catch a lot of passes. Yeah. But it's more so that he's got no like um 
investment from the team. Yeah, no installation. He, he could be replaced next week. Like it wouldn't be shocking if the Rams took a running back with their first pick this year. Well, I don't know if they have a first round pick. They usually don't. I'm assuming. Yeah, I think they actually do this year for once. It's well, they won't take one in the first. They won't take one in the first. Nobody's taking running back in the first. first. This running back class is ass. Take one in the day two this, this running back class is ass square. Yeah, but it's not going to be shocking if they take one in the second in the day two. I was. Is there going to be a single running back taken in the first two rounds this year? What's that? If I give you over under zero point five running backs taken in the first two rounds this year, would you take over or under? Over. There's going to be one. Are we sure? Yeah. Okay, I guess it was Bishop Sankey. So there's, there's. I don't believe that I've ever seen a draft class that doesn't have at least one second round running back. It would be an outlier of outliers for it to go that far. Yeah, that's fair enough. So I'm gonna somebody's gonna force a square peg into a round hole at some point in round two. It, yeah. Plus, isn't Trevion Henderson declaring? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, I think he's going to de- – maybe he hasn't declared yet. I mean, they still have a lot to play for potentially. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sold on the Trevion Henderson profile. He's went to Ohio State. He did a lot of good things. He's a high – Braylon Allen declared, player. and the, the range of outcomes of opinions on Braylon Allen seems to be immense. Yeah, I don't uh, think that he's going to be the date. The, the I've, I've seen people saying he's like the clear RB one. I've seen people saying he's, he'll be lucky to get drafted. I, I have no idea. I'm 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 currently Braylon Allen neutral. I'm pretty sure uh, that the Braylon Allen folks that love him are the analytic folks. Right. And, I'm getting big Sean Tucker vibes. Yeah. <laughs> the people that do not like him are the film. Or the film people. And yeah. the analytics is a wonderful tool, but you need draft capital. Like right, the film people don't like him. I don't like him. Right, that's the thing. My view on Braylon Allen has been like I get this with a lot of running backs. I got this with Sean Tucker last year, um, where people are like, "Do you like this guy?" And I'm always like, "Maybe." Um, it's like I I like I, look Braylon Allen's huge, big workload, and he started to catch passes this year. If you're telling me this guy's going on day two of the draft, I am in. I promise you, I'm in. All the way in. Um, I, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm a firm pending until we start to see that because I'm skeptical. Yeah, there's like, I, I find it funny because a lot of people think that I just like hate film scouts. I don't like. I think their work is extremely valuable, but I don't like all the players the film scouts like. But I also don't like any of the players that film scouts don't like. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> film scouts drive the well, not necessarily the ones that we listen to on Twitter are not driving the NFL draft, but it's film that's driving the NFL draft. Yeah. Other than the Bears analytic department, they are driving the NFL draft. Out <laughs> of them, it's film. And like, if they're not into a player, I'm not into the player. Like, I just don't care. Like, Sean Tucker got absolutely nixed. Sean Tucker was basically dead, except right. his like. Value sunk so much it was like, well, we we can buy it. Right. To be clear, I will probably be drafting Braylon Allen regardless. I just, I won't be drafting him in like pre-draft rookie drafts because he'll be like the Zach Evans, Sean Tucker, where it's like he's like the Debbie Darling that's overvalued in those. Realistically, I'm going to be drafting Braylon Allen almost no matter what because either he's going to get the draft capital and I'm going to want to draft him, 
or he's not going to get the draft capital and he's going to be like one of my favorite third round rookie picks. Um, But yeah, I I just, I'll say is I wouldn't pencil him into your first round plans. No, he's you're right. If you're doing a rookie draft before the NFL draft, like I want to be seeing a lot of mock drafts with him real early. If you're look, here's the thing. If you're doing a, you know, the people who drive those are the analytics nerds. The, the best thing you can do is just think of all of the players that the film bros like that you know you won't draft when your actual rookie drafts come along, and you just stuff your face with all those guys in the pre-draft rookie draft because they're so undervalued. Like, if you just – like, all you do is you just go to the mock drafts and you're like, oh, who is the wide receiver that's going to go in round two that all the data bros hate? And you're going to get them in round four of your pre-draft rookie draft. And you just click that button, and you just collect your sweet, sweet Skolanski box. That's that's the best thing you can do in those drafts. And then you you instantly have diversified yourself. Yeah, I, I used to call it like, well, not initially with the pre-draft thing, but like when it comes to analytics, I use I think of it like, like fishing within the net. Like we take our net, and we figure out who, which players might be good, and then we f- try to pick the ones out of that net that are actually the best bets. And the draft capital is the first net. Like, yeah, we need to. We need. We we do not draft Amon Ross St. Brown in the second round of rookie drafts because <laughs> we like him pre-draft. Like, I'm sorry, that was a well, terrible decision. It worked out for you. I'm really happy about that. But like, you. it was a terrible idea to do that. And I can give you countless lists of other players that we liked as Debbie Darlings that were shout out David Bell draft that did not do a damn thing. Like Shout out Tyler Johnson. Poof, lists of this. So we really need that draft capital. And if we don't get it, then right. if the player happens to hit, if the player happens well, to be Almond Raw, we're going to be able to buy him later anyway. Well, it's probably pretty good for us that, um, like, I remember this This was the discussion post Almond Raw was like, you know, did the NFL just miss something that was actually obvious all along? Because he was the rare case of like, hit all the analytics check boxes. It would have been a very sought after prospect uh, if you'd gotten higher draft capital, you know, and then this year it's like, like Puka and tank weren't like stone nothings from an analytical profile. Like if you now go back retroactively, there was like some stuff there, but they, they were not almond raw. Like they, they were like the more classic, like, I mean, I guess tank that went in the third round, but like Puka, Puka was like a, like, I mean, Puka was like, okay, you know, like, that's just like, that's what happens. Sometimes, sometimes there's guys. Puka was like for me. Puka was a bustier prospect that went on day three. Like there was, there was nothing there. Right. I but understand yards per yeah. run were impressive to some degree, but like, that's not a reliable way to pick out outliers on day. Right. Three. Well, sorry. Look, every single time that any outlier hits. There will be some reason when you go back and look and say, now that we know this player hit, like what did we miss? And there'll be something that you can point out. The issue is, is like then if you just decide that, okay, that's what we miss on this player, so now that has to be my decision making criteria, you're you're just gonna then miss your next 10 bets. Yeah. So yeah. it's like there will always be something. And that maybe that is why that player hit or whatever, but like there's also a million other reasons why you know that player didn't get that draft capital. And I don't know, sometimes just weird things happen. Well, it even goes back to like Stefan Diggs. Like, I don't know if you were playing much in the Stefan Diggs era, but draft Justin Shorter, you got to get the high school five stars. 
it was a five star with an 18 breakout the one on day three it's like well if actually if you look at those it ain't that good sorry it's it's step on digs that's the list <laughs> you've been drafting a lot of those guys lately you've been real unhappy so and like Omen Ra was like Keishon Booty got him Keishon Boutet he's gonna be the man and like Seth Williams he was my dude before. oh yeah he got yeah I love Seth Williams like that sucked same draft as Omen Ra same draft as Omen Ra same profile did all the same things and just you know he went in the round six okay well maybe it's around fours it isn't there's like no hits from round four in history like round four is like the least hitting draft round for wide receivers, period. That's not true. Round six and seven also hit very little. But there's more round fives than round fours. So, <laughs> like, it, it just, it's just it's just ridiculous. Or, like, uh, who was it? Um, it might have been Gabriel Davis. Did he go really early in round four? Uh, I don't know where he went in round four, but he went in round four. I think he went really early in round four in a strong class, and people were like, well, no – if it wasn't such a strong class, he would have went on day three, and then he'd have been a really good prospect. So this like eight spots doesn't count. It's like oh, this is this is like the this is like the actually the Jets would have taken Michael Carter in round three, but they didn't have a round three pick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that was exactly that's that's why I, that's why I only I still only refer to Michael Carter as Michael, basically a round three pick because the Jets liked him so much that they would have taken him in round three if they had a round three pick Carter. Yeah, it's exactly like you just. You can always like Kyron Williams is another great example. Film people loved Kyron Williams, right? Loved Kyron Williams, and then like even uh, my buddy Matt Hicks was posting yesterday. I think it was, yeah. Fantasy community left him for dead when he ran a four or six. I'm like, no, they didn't. They left him for dead when he went in day three. He was around five or six pick. That's why he was left for dead because he was dead. He scored three points last season per game. <laughs> Like, he went from three points per game to 21 this year. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But uh, anyways, like Kyron Williams, if you go back and you're like, well, if we just draft all the players the film community really likes on day three, then we'll get all the hits. No, yeah, I mean, the Rams have the Rams have another one right now. Yeah. They're not using them. They're not letting them play. Yeah. Well, that's next. Zach Evans is right there. It's in year two that these guys hit, not in year one. That's true. Um. Anyways. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think that wraps it. Um, it's been uh, been fun. I'm going to go home, finally, at last. I'm going to go to sleep. I have a podcast to record in seven and a half hours. Fuck. Um, all right. Anything with a plug? You can find me on Twitter, Jacob Sanderson. You can find my Substack, Thinking About Thinking. It's in my bio on Twitter. You can also go to jacobsanderson.substack.com. True. I'm on Twitter at DF Beancounter and on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bulletproof FF. So join me there. Terrific. Everyone have a fantastic week. <laughs>